Welcome to Salty Moms Gone Sober. Whether you are a sober, curious, salty individual, can't seem to stay on the wagon, or have some successful sober time under your belt, our podcast creates a safe and comfortable space to let it all out. We can't guarantee anything but a good time and chill vibes. With a dash of humor, genuine language of the heart, and a salty truth throat punch here and there, Connect with us on this unpredictable wave of sobriety. And when we find ourselves choking on a mouthful of saltiness, let's stop waiting to exhale and just spit some truth. Without further ado, your hosts, Alyssa Gruskin and Brie Juarez. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Salty Moms Gone Sober. This is Bree, and I am so excited that I have a guest host tonight. I'm Amelia, and I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. Tell me, like, I don't know, what a pretty awesome dude, his name's Mike. Conklin from Better Beginning Now. And Mike, I think that we should just let you take it away if you would give us a little bit of your background and some of the things that you've gone through through your alcoholism, your addiction, what you call it. Go ahead. Thank you very much. I want to say thank you for inviting me here, asking me to do this. I really, really appreciate it. So yeah, my name is Mike and I am a sober alcoholic. I say that because I have no problem saying that I'm an alcoholic. AUD scale, as they say nowadays, I think I check every box of, I think there's 11 questions or something. I think I check all of them. So to me, that's an alcoholic. When I put alcohol in my system, I don't know how to stop. When I'm not drinking, I'm thinking about alcohol. So that's that's me. I started drinking at a very young age. I don't know how old I was when I started drinking or when I had my first drink because it was okay to take a sip off your grandfather's highball glass. You could, you know, my parents had friends over the house and there was a refrigerator in the basement that had like Miller High Life nips and Jenny Cream Ale nips in it. And the kids would run down there and grab the beers for the parents and crack our own and sip off of our parents. So like, I don't know how old I was when I first tasted alcohol. I know that the first time I got drunk with the intent of getting drunk was nine. I blacked out for the first time I was 11 and my drinking career continued that way. And everything that I used, whether it be alcohol or drugs, I always did in excess. Things were a lot of fun. I thought, you know, when I was drinking, when I was younger, I thought I was just having a good time. And then it was, you know, I like to say it was fun. It was fun with problems. And then it was just problems. You know, lots of consequences came about because of my drinking. My mom used to say things like, I don't know how you do it. You know, you, every time you step in shit, you come out smelling like a rose. And that's really what would happen. So like the consequences didn't really stick when I was younger. Being arrested, you know, um, spending nights in jail, waking up in hospital beds, you know, uh, <laughs> handcuffed to the gurney, kind of coming to in that state and then being taken to jail to, you know, couldn't really charge me with anything, just like, you know, public intoxication. So you'll sit here and like wear off. You know, I looked at those situations as like, um, it's not my fucking fault. You know what I mean? Like that cop shouldn't have arrested me. I wasn't doing anything. I was walking. You know, why would they, why would they stop me and, you know, think I was, you know, doing something wrong? You know, A, I was underage drinking. I was, you know, pretty much nothing was my fault. You know, that's the way I should say it. Nothing was my fault. So like I said, I started drinking young. I blacked out young. I drank and used drugs excessively. I like to say that my addiction is more. That's how I refer to it. And what do you want? What do you have? How much do you want? How much do you have? That's just the way that I you know, drank and used. I was able to party hard on the weekends and, 
never really do anything, skipped a lot of school, like, you know, senior year of high school. And there were no repercussions because school did come easy. You know, I looked at it from the standpoint of, you know, I did well in school. I played varsity sports. I was popular amongst my peers, you know, but I look back now, you know, even as like, you know, I could fit in with any group, right? I could fit in with anyone, you know, but I like to say like, you know, I was alone in a room full of people, you know, because on the inside, even then, you know, looking back now, I can, I can process the fact that I was always suffering from some sort of uncomfortability inside, you know, and my definition of addiction is pretty much if I am trying to fix an internal discomfort with an external source, I am participating in this loop of addiction. You know, it starts with pain. It ends with pain. I'm in pain. Give me something, take the pain away, takes it away for a little while. And then it comes back. And then I just go right back to that thing, whatever that was, you know, and I can still do that today, you know, with things that are not alcohol and drugs, you know, I could do it with validation of people. I could do it with, you know, gambling, you name it. You know what I mean? If I find something, if I'm seeking pleasure, I can easily get, you know, brought back into that loop. And that's kind of what recovery did. It changed that. I no longer, I'm not seeking pleasure, you know, but I'm trying to be of purpose. You know, that's why I like coming on and doing things like this, because I know that I am not going to fucking resonate with every person out there. I've been around, I have been around recovery long enough and I was honest with people in the beginning. I'm like, that fucking lady annoys the shit out of me. And that person said to me after the meeting, he's like, yo, Mikey, what's the matter? I'm like, she fucking drives me crazy. He said, that's okay. He said, that's okay. He's like, because you're going to learn not just what to do from some people in recovery. You will also learn what not to do. So, and I, I, then I was like, okay, I can get that. And it used to blow my mind being around recovery, like, you know, staying around long enough and really getting connected. There's people like, I don't identify, I don't resonate at all. Like, I'm like, oh my God, this is like killing me. And then like, after that person might share, somebody is like, oh my God, you spoke to my heart. You spoke right to my soul. And it's like, see, just because you don't resonate with somebody else, don't discredit it. You know, that's some of my advice for people. Like, you know what I mean? If you stay around long enough and you continue to participate, you will find your tribe. You will, you know what I mean? You will find people that you resonate with that are sober, that are living sober, recovered lives, and they can help you do that. That's a little spiel on that. So I graduated high school tremendously while I was over there because I was 18 years old, living out 40 miles outside of Paris, free to do whatever I wanted. Drinking was legal. You can buy beer in Burger King. You know what I mean? Like, so instead of like soda with my value meal, I can have beer and it's cheaper than Coca-Cola. So like I drank, that's where it really kind of took off to like being like a daily thing, like daily, um, as opposed to just a few nights during the week, always on the weekends. Came back from Europe, went away to college, spent a, a semester down at, in North Carolina and Wilmington. And it was just an absolute, you know, it was a shit show. You know, I barely went to class. I drank all of the time. Drugs were part of the story. You know what I mean? I was doing drinking and using every single day. And then uh, at the end of that semester, I couldn't go back. I didn't have the funding to go back. So then that just like really escalated the drug use once I was home. So then it was a lot of cocaine. Like, I mean, I, you know, we were jumping on the train at three o'clock in the morning. You know, I lived in upstate New York, about 50 miles north of the city, hop on the train, head down to 178th Street in Harlem, get some, get whatever we could, party. You know, that's kind of what you did. You just drank and did drugs and it was fun. You know, we were all like the people I hung around with, that's what we did. So that's why it seemed like it was okay. We we're having a good time. So my mom looked at that as like, you know, she kind of looked at things and said, I think you need to, I 
think you kind of need to go away. And I could kind of see that. Like, you know, I, I, I could kind of see it. My life was definitely not headed in the direction that I had envisioned as a child. You know, this was definitely not going in the direction I thought my life was going to be going. So I agreed. My uncle lived down in uh, Florida at the time. So she's like, you know, I spoke to spoke to your uncle and you can go down there and stay with them. So I was 20 years old. I thought it was a great, you know, great idea. And I did. I went down. I started doing a lot of cool stuff and I, uh, I got like scuba certified. And then after about like, you know, a month, I found my people again. And that's what I did. I found my people. I found the people that drank and used drugs the way that I did. And I started doing that again and pretty much got arrested several times, kicked out of every bar in Panama City, Florida for underage drinking and causing a ruckus. I said, I got to get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? I don't, I should not be getting arrested. This is ridiculous. I'm getting, these people are like, you know, they don't like me because I'm from the North. That's kind of like, you know, they don't like them damn Yankees and stuff. And that's kind of what I did. I was like, you know, I can't fucking be down here anymore. I'm just getting in too much trouble. Like it's, it's ridiculous. It's not my fault. So I left and I went back to North Carolina. So go back to North Carolina. I'm living with my friend, one of my old roommates, sleeping on his couch, partying every day, get arrested a couple times there. I'm like, fucking, this is ridiculous. Trump is following. You know what I mean? Like I just keep getting in trouble everywhere I go. Like it's fucking, nobody else got in trouble, but I'm the one that's getting in trouble. So I go back to New York. Then drugs really like kicked off. Like the, the rave scene was really big in New York back then. So designer drugs were rampant. Did a lot of those, felt real good doing them, having a great time, but like same kind of thing. Like, you know, it's just, there's a lot of trouble and you put yourself into some very, you know, I didn't think they were, you know, dangerous situations, but you do some stupid shit you know, when you're chasing after that stuff. And then about, I'd gotten back together with uh, like my high school sweetheart at the time. And uh, 10 months after being back together, we found out that she was going to be having a baby. So that kind of sobered me up a little bit, you know, because we decided that's what we, we wanted to have the baby. And it did, it changed things quite a bit. Now I had to be accountable to something else, to somebody else. But it was kind of short-lived, you know what I mean? The drugs kind of took a big backseat, but the drinking was still there. I can still drink. I can still smoke weed. You know, I can still do those things. Um, the other stuff kind of faded away. You know, the other drugs and stuff kind of faded away. But then drinking just was like, it was something I earned and deserved. So then there was a lot of... um. There was a lot of uh, tension at times, you know, between, you know, she was my fiance at the time between the two of us. It was always like, it was always around my drink, but I felt I was being targeted, right? Like, why is she always bitching at me about drinking? I, I go to work, I do this, I provide for our family. And then um, it looked like things were not going to go well. Like we were kind of like going in different directions and I didn't want that. And um, I tried, right? I'm, I'll, I'll do better this time. So she gave me another chance. <clears throat> our son, she was pregnant again. And then our son came down the road. So my daughter was two years and 10 months old when our son was born. So that kind of kept me like, okay, now I really have to provide. Now we have two kids, right? So now we have two kids and a life. And it wasn't long until I was fucking up again type stuff, you know? And there was plenty of times along those lines, like, you know, you can't be here. You need to get out of the house. I don't want my, you know, this is, I, I don't want, you need to do something with yourself. But I was always able somehow because we are very good manipulators. Alcoholics and addicts can manipulate like the best. You know, I think we should all be lawyers in some ways. But like I was able to get myself back in all the time and I could straighten my shit up for a little bit and then like just kind of toe the line, toe the line, toe the line until I cross lines. So then our third child came along and um, <clears throat> well, I should back up 
my wife and I got married when our son was like two years old. Our daughter was five, just turning five. And um, <clears throat> 10 months, he was, I think our third child was a honeymoon baby. So uh, like, you know, some short time later he was born. So now we have three kids. I'm like 27 years old. I have a drink, like, I don't think I have a drinking problem. I just kind of, I've been told I should probably do something about it, but I was not down with that. I had also gotten a DWI when my daughter was a baby. I literally, I went through the whole shit. I went to like the classes. They made me go to the therapist. I had the fucking therapist convinced that my parents were the crazy ones, not me. You don't really need to do anything more after this. Like I just fucking lied. Everything I said to that person was just pretty much a complete lie. And he bought it. He believed it. Hook, line, and sinker. I, I finished those things up. They signed my papers. I had my license back. Life is good again. <clears throat> so that had happened when my daughter was little. So like, and, and that was actually a big deal. Like my wife was fucking pissed when I was brought home by the police that night because I was, you know, I was out to the bar. I was supposed to be home at a certain time. I don't show up. And that was the thing. So I got my DWI. Like I, I was blacked out. I was sleeping in my car. When the cop came, when, you know, they dragged me out of it, brought me back to the station. Five hours later, I below like a 0.18. Why me? Like, this is ridiculous. I was sleeping. Why wouldn't they just let me continue to sleep? You know, it wasn't really my fault. I didn't take any accountability for that whatsoever. I thought that it was just really bad luck. Like, you know what I mean? Like pulled off on a side road and a fucking cop gets me. This is ridiculous. So I didn't like think about anything about that. I got my license back, stayed on my record for 10 years. So then, you know, by the time I was 32, that was gone. Three kids. Now we're like, you know, I'm working, have an opportunity to buy a business, do that. My drinking like just was off the charts once I had that because now I'm really doing well, right? Like I'm doing well, you know, we're getting a house. We've got like, you know, we've got the business life is good. I start gambling. That becomes an issue also, but I'm able to like shut the door on that because it's like, you know, God, I'm going to, the business is going to bleed out if I, if I continue to do this. So I can't do that anymore. Keep drinking. So for about a year and a half, my wife's like, listen, if we don't go to fucking therapy, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. So I'm like, whoa, okay. Okay. I'll go to therapy. We'll go to therapy. So we start going to therapy. I liked therapy because I wasn't always wrong. Like I actually liked going, it was like, I liked my, our therapist because it really seemed like sometimes she was on my side. So I fucking enjoyed it. So after about a year and a half, like my therapist, like used to say like, you know, why don't you just try AA? And I was like, I'm not going to AA. It's not fucking happening. And I said, my aunt tried to get me into AA when I was like, after my DWI, I'm like, all they do is talk about God there. I'm fucking good. Not happening. I had turned my back on God a long time ago. Like now my wife, she was wife and the kids all brought it like she was you know a, a woman of faith tried to get me to go to things i'm like that's your thing not my thing i'm not i don't speak out against it with you but i just i'm just not there like that's not happening so she went to church every sunday kids went they all made their sacraments um i stopped going to church i was you know protestant growing up i stopped going to church when i was 10 years old i'm never fucking going back there i got in a fight in with somebody like in Sunday school, the teacher was yelling at me about it. I'm like, he pushed me in the back. I turned around, we got into a fight and then I was the one in trouble. I'm like, fuck this. I'm, I told my mom, I'm like, I'm not going back. I'm never going there again. This is bullshit. So I didn't go back. So I wasn't going to AA, you know? And then about a year and a half into therapy, like my, my therapist one night, she says, now by this time I like her. She's like, why don't you just try it? Right. And I'm like, oh. and she's like, you know, it would, you guys are doing well. You know, I think that you know, this is something that like, you know, Jennifer thinks it would be good. 
I think it would be good for you. I was like, you know what? Fucking fine. I'll go tomorrow. She turns around. She grabs a pamphlet from behind her and she goes, well, actually, if you leave right now, you could make the meeting over at the brick church. So I'm like, you know, being the good alcoholic that I am, I'll fucking prove you wrong. Fine. I'll go take the pamphlet. Now, mind you, this is at the, this AA meeting is at the same church that I stopped going to when I was 10 years old. So I drive there, <clears throat> I go in, like there's a, there's the blue, there's a blue sign at the top of the stairs going down into the basement of the church. I know where the basement of the church is because we used to break in there and drink at night and on the weekends when they, so I know that, so I go down to this church basement that go in table set up in like a horseshoe. I'm sitting at the top. Like I sit down at the top corner. This big guy sits down next to me and he says, uh, Hey, I'm John. I go, Mike. He's like, nice to meet you. I'm like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know how this works. He said, I've never been to a meeting before in my life. It's my first meeting ever. He goes, Oh, he's fucking excited. He's like, Oh, he's like, it's a, it's a big book meeting. I go, still don't know what that means. And he's like, Oh, people are going to come in. They're going to sit up like there at the front of the room. It's like some other people come in. He goes, and we're going to go around. We're going to read from the big book. I was like, okay. He goes, so all these books that are in front of each seat, he goes, it's going to come to you. And when it comes to you, you can either read, you can either read or you can just say pass, you know? So I'm like, okay. So meeting starts, they go through everything. They start reading and uh, it gets to me. And um, this is my passage. My wife became deeply interested and it was her interest that sustained mine. Though I at no time sensed that it might be an answer to my liquor problem. How my wife kept her faith and courage during all those years, I'll never know. But she did. If she had not, I know I would have been dead a long time ago. For some reason, we alcoholics seem to have the gift of picking out the world's finest women. Why they should subject themselves to the tortures we inflict upon them, I cannot explain. I said, pass. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? First AA meeting, that's my passage. I'm just like, okay. So, I mean, that like left a lot of questions in me, you know, like I, I ran through my life literally believing that everything is just a coincidence. Everything's a coincidence. They're just coincidences. This one was hard to deny when I really thought about it. That was a hard one to deny. So I, I left that meeting and I, I went home and, you know, my wife says, how was the meeting? I said, oh, it was good. You know, it was good. She's like, are you going to go back? I said, yeah, I, I am. I think I'm going to go back. So I went back, like I would go to like two, three meetings a week. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't do any step. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't really connect with anyone. I literally just went a little bit late. You know, I would stay to the end and just bolt. And, um, during that, like, you know, during over the course of the next year of doing that, like, you know, a meeting or two meetings a week, I would drink occasionally, but it wasn't like, I wasn't like off the rocker, right? Like I was kind of, I was controlling it pretty good. Now I was controlling it pretty well. Every once in a while, I would like, you know, go down like my, you know, I didn't do it. In, I didn't want to do it in front of, you know, my wife and stuff at the time. So I would kind of like, you know, keep it down in the garage or something and just, you know, drink some and then like go back up and, you know, felt a little better inside. The uncomfortability was gone. I went to a, I went to my a physician on, uh, I went to a physician on February 12th of 2007. And I said, listen, I just started going to some AA, you know, trying to get a hold of this drinking thing. And he's like, okay. And he prescribed me antabuse. And he explained to me, he said, this stuff, you will not drink while you're on this because you'll be so deathly sick that you'll never want to drink. I said, okay. So I took that stuff and I've been way deadly sicker from drinking. Like, so I took it. Did it hurt my stomach? Sure. But was it, 
you know, I didn't care. Like, I'm like, fuck it. Like, I mean, I, I can deal with that. Like, this makes me feel better inside, takes away the spinning in my head, um, the uncomfortability inside. So I'll drink, you know what I mean? Like I can deal with this. So I would do that on occasion. So around like December of 2007, life starts going really, really sideways for me. I'm kind of like, my head is in really, really fucking bad places, daily contemplating suicide. Um, I had lost the business right around that, you know, that February of 2007, had to let that go. Um, started working with a friend and, uh, that was going pretty well. Like when I was kind of controlling the drinking, but then like the drinking of control, like kind of started, you know, wasn't so controllable. I was fucking fighting urges on a regular basis. Life wasn't really where I wanted it. I felt like I was losing everything. I felt like there was no end to this. Like I really, I mean, the thoughts that went through my head were like, you know, I had a life insurance policy in, in place at the time. I want to make sure that if I fucking kill myself, that my family's going to be benefited from it. So I knew that, like, I knew like, okay, we're good. The policy's been in place long enough so that if I do come myself, it's like, they'll be good. Like, I fucking thought about that, like, every day. Like, I I got to the point, like, at a year, of, a year after tiptoeing around the rooms, I wanted to jump off a bridge. That's where I was. I wanted to fucking die. And my mom found out about that, and uh, she was scared. Like, she was really scared. And she's like, you need help. And I actually said, okay, I'll, I'll do something. I said, but... I can't, I can't keep doing it like this. This is not working for me. So she said, why don't you try going into rehab? So we started looking, I was like, fine. Now my wife told me to get out of the house, right? Like you got to, you can't be here. You got to go. So I get out, I go to my mom's, stay at my mom's house. And that was like my go-to. Like if I got kicked out, I would just go there, stay in the other bedroom or something, weasel my way back into the house after three or four days. And uh, this time my wife was pretty, you know, she was pretty adamant that you're not coming back unless you get help. And then we can discuss it then. A couple of days we're trying to find a rehab and stuff. Now, after a couple of days of being just like fucking, you know, sideways and like all like, oh my God, this is whole, my whole life is upside down. Then I'm like kind of settled in every night. Like after my mom and her husband would go to bed, I would be drinking, you know, I'm searching fucking for, I'm, I'm looking at rehabs online while drinking, saying I want to get back in my house and stuff, but here I am fucking, you know, with the solution that I know there's, it's about five days of this going on. And, uh, my mom finally, she's like, you know, she reaches out to our local, uh, legislator and he gets me into a rehab. So he's like, they have a bed they can get you in tomorrow. So I'm like, okay, perfect. So now I'm like, fuck, you know, this is really happening. <laughs> like this is really going down. So I drank pretty heavy that night, the night before. And then uh, the next day I wanted to go see my therapist and let her know what was going on, what was up. So I went and saw her and then uh, I told her she was happy. You know, she was very happy to hear what I was doing. So then I leave there and on my way back to my mom's, my mom's like, oh, we'll have lunch together before I take you to the rehab. So I'm like, okay. So I stop and I grab some beer on the way back, pound those down before I get home. My mom and I have lunch, we start driving to the rehab and uh, it's at the hospital called Bon Secours Hospital. So it's like, 40 minutes, 45 minutes from my house. So I'm driving to Bon Secours. It's fucking snowing. The roads are terrible. And now I'm really starting to say to myself, this shit is really fucking happening. I do not want to do this. And like, that's my, my thoughts are like, okay, if I throw myself out of the car, I don't know if we're going fast enough to fucking kill me. And then how's that guy? I said, all right, is there like a, a semi truck behind us? Maybe it'll fucking run me over if I just stay in the middle of the road somehow. Now, how's this going to affect my mom? Like, these are the actual thoughts that are running through my head as I'm on my way to rehab. We get to the rehab safely, sit in the waiting room for like four hours, you know, to get checked in. So 
finally, all right, so there's this guy and he's like wandering around and stuff. He's like just annoyed with whatever's going on in the hospital in the waiting room. So he's like, you know, what are all these people doing here? It's like, well, a couple of them are waiting to go upstairs to the rehab because I think he was looking for help for his son for something. There's the emergency room they're bringing me in through. So like, he's like, rehab, huh? You got a rehab upstairs? And the, the lady was like, yes, we do. And he's like, did they talk about God up there? And she's like, well, it is like a 12-step based program. He's like, well, they need to. That, that's what they need to be doing. They need to be talking about God up there. So I was like, okay. This is like, you know, these are just like little seeds being planted, right? Like, I mean, the moment like with the book at the fucking meeting, like now there's this person that's like saying like you need God in your life. So I get brought to the back. They do a urine test, blood samples, all that stuff. The nurse says to me, he's like, so when is the last time that you drank? I'm like, ah, oh, a couple of days ago. He goes, when is the last time you drank? He said this morning. He goes, there you fucking go. For once in your life, try being honest. This is where you are right now. I said, okay. On the way up in the elevator, he says to me, he goes, uh, can I give you a piece of advice? I said, sure. He said, while you're up there, stay out of the fucking drama. There's a lot of bullshit up there. Stay out of it. Remember why you're here. I said, okay. Get out. Check me in. It's late at night by this time. They bring me right to my room. There's a knock on my door. It's a fucking priest. It's a fucking priest. I'm like, hello? He's like, do you mind if I come in for a minute? I go, sure, come on in. And I actually, it was actually kind of welcoming because I'm in this fucking place. It's, you know, I'm alone. I'm confused. And he was just someone to talk to. He wasn't preaching to me. He just talked, let me talk. He said, if there's anything else I can do for you, you know, like you can always ask for me. I'm more than welcome to come up to the floor. Okay, thank you so much. Next day, wake up. I walk down to the common meeting room and I'm like, this place fucking sucks. This is not the rehab that I saw. This is not the places I was looking at online. I'm looking at palm trees and beaches and beautiful places, beautiful grounds to walk around. There's construction going on outside. We're not even allowed to fucking go outside. Like the place is so small. I mean, you can walk up and down the, the fucking corridor within like minutes. I'm in, I'm on the third floor of a hospital in a mica unit. And I'm like, how, how the fuck did my life get here? So like four or five days in, I haven't seen the therapist yet. Now I'm, or like I'm, I'm aggravated that I'm not seeing the therapist. They're not doing what I want here. Every day I'm on the phone with my mom. I'm telling her they're not doing what I want here. This is they're not, they're not helping me. They're not doing, sh you know, they're not doing anything. So like finally fourth day, I get my meeting with my therapist, go through this stuff with him after about 40 minutes. Like, um, he's ready to give me a prescription for anxiety and depression. And I am fucking psyched. I'm like, yes, I'm going to feel good in a few minutes from now. I walk out of that room. There's this guy, his name is, his name was Tony. He's an old guy, gray haired guy, definitely in 12 step program. He, uh, he says to me, Hey, how'd it go? And I was like, I was like, great. He gave me his prescription for, for anxiety and depression. He goes, really? He goes, have you ever been diagnosed with anxiety and depression? I said, no. He goes, I'm not, you're not. He goes, and I'm not saying that you're probably not anxious and depressed right now because you're five days away from your family. You have no fucking idea what's going on. You haven't had a drink or a drug in five days. Probably feeling a little uncomfortable. I go, very. He's like, and you've been annoyed at the fact that you haven't been getting what you want here. Because I'm not telling you, I'm not saying don't fill that prescription. I'm just saying you might want to think about it. He goes, maybe after some time, if you still feel that way, then maybe you want to talk to another physician and revisit that. I didn't fill it. And uh, I can honestly say that that's like another moment that this, you know, another piece of my puzzle was like, if that guy wasn't standing there, I was right to that fucking window, right to the window. And um, so now it's uh, February 17th, 2008. It's um, I'm on, I'm on the phone 
with my then four-year-old son. He was turning five the next day. So he's on the phone and he says, hey, dad, you're going to be at my party tomorrow, right? You're going to be at my birthday party, right? I don't think so, bud. You know, they thought I was working. My kids thought I was working because that's what my, that's what their mom had told them. So he's like, no, 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 no. You know where it's at. You'll be there. I'll see you there tomorrow. So I was like, I don't know, bud. He's like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow, dad. You know, love you. I was like, love you, bud. Got off the phone, walk into my room and uh, hit my knees. Cause I had nowhere else to turn, but up is literally like where I was at. I had no more answers. And for the first time in my life, I realized that what I was doing was not just hurting other people, but it was actually hurting the people that I loved the most in my life. And, um, when I, when I hit my knees and then I opened my mouth, I was bawling and I just, everything I'd ever done wrong, every person I had ever wronged, every fucking situation, I just like, it came out. And when I was done and there was nothing left to say, like, I felt okay. Like I felt okay. And my, I basically on my knees, I said, cause I, had, I heard it in the rooms for that year. You know, they read, they read something before the meeting. If nobody's ever been to a meeting, they read this thing, you know, it's a, it's an outtake from the book. And, and the last thing that they say is like, God could and would if he were sought. Well, I was fucking seeking. And, um, I said, I promise I will do everything I possibly can if you help me to not drink again. I will do everything I possibly can. And I felt okay. And then there was a knock on my door and it was the nurse. And she said, you have a phone call. It's your mom. So for five days, I've been trying to get out of this rehab. My mom's like trying to get me into another rehab. So I get on the phone with my mom and my mom says, um, hey, they have a bed for you at the villa. I can come get you tomorrow and we can bring you over. And I said, nope. I'm not going anywhere. She's like, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. Actually. I said, actually everything for the first time feels okay. She said, okay, are you sure? I said, yeah. It's like, I can't really explain it, ma. Really can't explain what's going on. I said, just know that I feel okay. She said, okay. So then at day 10, they say, you can't be here anymore. Your insurance doesn't pay. If you go out and fail IOP, then you can come back in, which is fucking crazy like tell somebody to go out and fail so they can come back to be the inpatient. Like, yeah, I'm not coming back. Right. Like how many people don't make it back? So I get out, I go to, uh, I get home. I, um, my kids are, you know, happy that I'm home it was that night snowed all day. It was a Friday night, snowed all day on Saturday, Sunday, I shovel us out. There's like 17 inches of snow on the ground. I tell my wife, I'm like, there's a meeting in the afternoon. I'm going to go to that. I go to this meeting in the afternoon. It's a speaker meeting. Nobody shares. I'm walking out the door. This guy approaches me. He says, hey, why are you here? And I was like, huh? He's like, why are you here? And I go, I just got out of rehab Friday night. He's like, no, no, no. Why are you here? I'm like, I, I, he's like, wife, finances, like judge. Why are you here? I said, I just got out of rehab and I don't, I don't want to drink anymore. And, and this is what they suggested I do. So... <clears throat> He and I start talking outside for a little bit. I like this guy. So he's like, hey, I'm going to another meeting tonight. Um, you know, there's another meeting over in like this town called Warwick. So I meet him there. I get surrounded by a whole, whole bunch of people after that meeting. And uh, and they were happy. These are fucking happy, sober people. Like they were like, and they had lives, really like had lives going. You know, it was like, I was like, I, I fucking, I, I want this. So I went home that night. My wife's like, how'd it go? I'm like, it's great. I'd asked him like, I'm like, you know, how? So this is the good one. Cause like in rehab, they tell you like, you don't, you should get a sponsor, um, you know, get some kind of program in your life, get a sponsor. They should have, they should have no less than five years of sobriety. So I, my first question to him was like, Hey, how long have you been sober? And he's like a couple days. And I'm like, he's fucking lying. I'm like, he's definitely sober more than a couple of days. He's like, listen, sobriety has nothing to do with the amount of time. 
because it's really it's not linear that way he's like it's really more so like what's the quality of one's sobriety just because somebody doesn't have 10 15 20 years doesn't mean that they can't work with you and take you through the process so i like that i still i, I still had no idea really how long he was sober because he didn't fucking tell me so like we start going to meetings. We start like, you know, going through the, the, the process. We start doing the work and stuff and I'm connected with some people. And um, I got to say, <clears throat> as I took action and like participated in this process, my life continually just started to get better, right? Like good things were happening. Like, you know, I'm clearing up like wreckage of the fucking shit that I did to people. And like my life is getting better because I'm taking action and participating in the process. At about six years, so at six months sober, like my whole life went sideways. I fucking call up this man and I'm just like, blah, 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 fucking the bitch and moaning and blah, blah, blah. And he's dead silent on the other end. And I'm like, are you going to fucking say anything? He goes, yeah, sounds like you're living life. He's like, listen, of all of those things you just told me, all of that shit, because I don't even fucking remember because I lost you like after you went on for so long. He goes, pick one, just pick one of those things and just work on that. Today. He goes, and then tomorrow we'll pick a different one. He goes, you got so much shit going on. He's like, one, you know what I mean? You're overwhelming yourself. So that's what I did. I would do one thing at a time. And then uh, I had about five years of really good sobriety. It's really connected. Life got so good. Um, I got back everything I'd ever lost and then some. Didn't have time to, you know, to participate in sobriety. You know I mean, I just don't have time for these things anymore. It's too much going on. Like, I'm good now. I'm five years sober. I don't need to drink. And I didn't drink. It didn't. Um, but over the course of the next five years, I became the same asshole that I was when I was drinking and treat people right. You know, I wasn't living in purpose. I wasn't I wasn't being kind to the people that are closest to me because I figured they would just take it, you know, because they're you know, that's that's just what happened. And then at 10 years sober, my wife didn't want to be married anymore. I was like my fucking whole life went sideways and uh, I got reconnected to the rooms. You know, I got really reconnected and I've stayed you know, it's almost, it's like over four and a half years now, like since that happened and, um, life wasn't good. You know, I, I was putting her through hell, I think for like two and a half years leading up to that. You know, at first I was so angry. I was like, how dare, you know, I was so mad, so angry. I just wanted to point blame. And I remember calling up that man that helped me through it in the first place and uh, telling him everything that was going on. You're not going to believe what's going on. And he was like, do you want to know what I think? And I said, yeah. He goes, you're probably not going to like it. And I go, okay. He goes, what she's doing is none of your fucking business. I said, excuse me? He's like, what do you mean it's not right? He goes, you're not fucking listening to me. What she's doing is none of your fucking business. What is your business is what you're going to do from right now. That's what you need to focus on. He's like, I would suggest you probably get your ass back to fucking those meetings that helped you in the first place. I said, I already went. You know, I was like, I already went. He's like, good. You should probably fucking keep going. He's like, because you're a mess. And he was right. I was an absolute mess. Like I was so twisted inside. Like I hadn't felt that way since I had been drinking and trying to get sober. Like my head was spinning. My knot was in, like my stomach was in knots. I got really reconnected and I stayed and then like right back to helping other people. Like that's what is about today. Like that's what sobriety is giving me. Sobriety and recovery gives me a life of purpose, right? I'm, I'm able to be intentional. I'm able to be empathetic to other people. I try to live without judgment. I try to start my day each and every day with forgiveness, acceptance, and gratitude. And if I do that, I have good days. Does that mean that all my days are good? Fuck no. I have horrible days sometimes. I can get inside my head just like anybody else. And I can twist myself up. But what happens is, is when I share that with another person that I trust and I get outside perspective, all of that changes. 
because left to my own devices, I'm still a sick fucking human being. You know, I mean, I have a connection with a power greater than myself. I just choose to call God because it's, it's just, you know, it's just a word. You know what I mean? Look at it any way you want, but I just know that there are things working in my life that are far greater than me, you know, things that I wouldn't be able to do without the help of that. And it continues to prove itself to me time and time again. And I'm, I'm aware of those things nowadays. Like I was never aware of anything going on in my life. I lived so far in the past or so far in the future. Like that's, and that's why I drank and drugged, you know, like it's really as simple as that. If you can ask yourself like, so what's the deal? Why do you drink and drug? Like, because I don't want to be right here right now. That's it. I just didn't want to be like in this physical space with everything that's going on in my life. So I would live in the past or project into the future and just fucking take me out of this moment. And uh, I don't have to live that way anymore. You know, and that's what like really like the process recovery does. And that's what I try to help people do is like, let's start being more self-aware. Let's start working on you. And I can promise you, if you fix that shit that's going on, you're going to be a better person yourself, all of the people around. That's kind of a, you know, little long-winded. I apologize. But uh, yeah, that's it. The, that's part of that's that's a good part of my story well thank you very much mike for sharing that in such great detail and putting your stuff out there and showing a lot of vulnerability so it seems your family right so you start having kids at a really young age you're a kid still really i mean technically you're not but like 21 22 you're definitely not a man <laughs> so <laughs> you guys like start popping out these babies like one after another like a factory i don't even know how a sober person would be able to handle that honestly and then as kind of the dad that's working and like slowly inching away from those uh, once upon a time happy responsibilities the fun things alcohol was still there drugs were gone and alcohol drinking being outside of your mind wasn't more important than any person or thing in your life including yourself most importantly yourself that's the nail on the head and that's exactly like what it was like you know, and I think the only reason that my family and my kids turned out as incredible as they are, I have to give all of the credit to my, you know, to their mom. She was an incredible mom. It was more important. You know, all of that stuff was, you know, what I mean, like, I loved them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Right. I could say Absolutely. like, oh, I love, I love my kids. I'd fucking die for them. Right. I was willing to crazy, like what it will do to us. Just everything is more, it's nothing is more important. I need nothing this. I need this. This is what fucking completes me. This is my solution. To everything. And I need my solution. And that is far more important than any relationship or anything. Because if you don't have your solution. You're fucked. You're <laughs> fucked. When really it's actually like the other way around once we learn. But it's pulling your hair out anxiety ridden literally sweating if you're fucking starting withdrawals it's just a mind fuck i like how you talked about the those five years that so you've been sober for what 10 years 15 years 15, 15 years yep. what never thought i'd be able to say that uh february 12th 2008 which is wild february 12th of 2007 was the day that i was prescribed antibuse and then i got yeah. sober on february 12th 2008 I also have a couple bottles of antibuse sitting. In <laughs> <laughs> it's really, uh, 
funny because like like given alcoholic and abuse, I mean doesn't take away this. Nah. My fucking problem centers in my mind. My mind yeah. controls the way that I feel. The way that I feel makes you know is gonna predict the actions that I take. So yeah. it starts here. I gotta get my fucking thinking right. If my thinking's not right, I'm I'm fucked. You know, and I think that that's what people that aren't alcoholics and addicts don't understand. They just figure like that person just needs to stop. If they just stop, their life will be great. So like you just said, like, it's my solution. It's my solution to everything, right? I drink whether I have the job or I lose the job, whether I have the girl or I lose the girl, whether I have the car or I lose the car. Like I'm fucking driving a great car or I'm taking the bus. Like, I mean, I drank because the day ended and why? Because it fucking literally fixed and did everything I needed it to. So if I stop drinking, the further away I get from a drink, the faster the spinning is in my head and the tighter the knot is in my stomach. That's what walking around with untreated alcoholism is. It's and walking around wanting walk to put a bullet for, in your head. For five years Correct. into five years of sobriety, that next five years, you were a dry drunk. You were a fucking asshole. You weren't dealing with any of your issues i'm sure the neglect of your family was just as intense as it was when you were actively drinking because your mind is is filled thinking like an active alcoholic you're just not putting the alcohol in your body and my addiction was to acquire more stuff yeah at that time like so i i was feeling a void but I was feeling it with that's just unfulfilling. It didn't take away the pain that's at the core of all of it. That's yeah. it. It would make me happy for like a day or two. Sweet. We did this. Awesome. You know what I mean? Now I need the next thing. I need the next thing. I need the next thing. You know, we got to so fix the inside. How would, how would you describe that pain? Like Amelia just said, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't take away the, the pain. Like what, what was it? that caused you pain? What made you need a solution? Um, I always just had like incredibly racing thoughts, like constantly, like I couldn't quiet my mind down. I couldn't sit in peace. You know, it's just like, I just say, it's just this constant uncomfortability. Like you talk to people, they say, I feel like I'm not even comfortable in my own skin. I feel like I'm crawling out of my own skin. You know, the fucking committee is always up. You know, the committee is always up in the head. You know, there's this lady once said, she's like, yeah, I don't go up into my head without a shotgun or a flashlight. That's a dark, dangerous place, you know? So I go up there with the assistance of others. And I remember that lady saying that. That was fucking great. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And that's why we need other people. Like, that's why I need other people. That's why connection is so imperative. If you really want recovery in your life, if you really want to get like if you really want to live a truly fulfilling life, true fulfillment comes from the relationships and the connections that we make with other people. Like that is what we're meant to do. We are meant to connect on a different level with other people, not just, hey, how are you doing today? You know what I mean? Like it's really about getting, like you said, honest with another human being. You know, like, and, and you know, we talk, I say like, how do you do it? I'm like, get honest, open, and willing. That's how, H-O-W, honest, open, willing. I'm honest, I'm telling you my shit. I'm open to new ideas and new suggestions and I'm willing to fucking do them. You know, that That's it. Like, are you willing to take the action? I can learn everything. You could fucking give me books. I'll watch podcasts. I'll watch, you know, like I'll listen to you. 
if I don't do something with the information that I'm given, shit ain't going to happen. Nothing happens. Not a lot of people say that this program doesn't work or that one doesn't work or, you know, recovery doesn't work for me. You know, I, I've listened to those people, but did you do anything? What did you do? How long did you try it for? I mean, fuck, I drank alcoholically for over 20 years. You know what I mean? But I'm going to say like fucking program, like, you know, that recovery doesn't work after trying it for fucking two weeks. Mm-hmm. Fuck out of here. That's because we work don't that want way. recovery to fucking no, work. No, I didn't. We want to keep our solution, no matter yeah. how miserable it makes us feel, it is what we are used it's to It's all feeling. ego. It's your ego. That's all it is. Like the ego will take you literally like it wants you either at the high of highs or it'll take you at the fucking low of lows. It doesn't give a shit. It's like, it's really just, it's that ego inside of us. Like it's what we're used to. It's like you said, we're used to it. So I'll take that because that's comfortable. I know how this feels. I don't know how that feels, but what I can promise people is like, I've been on both sides and I've gone back to the other. And I can tell you this side is way fucking better, way better. Yeah. I want to have you put your mind back in rehab when you talk to your son about his birthday party <laughs> And so this was your gift of desperation. This was your window of opportunity. Where love that word. Stars... I love that phrase. Hmm? Window of opportunity. I love that phrase. Yeah. So, and, and it was, it was like, and I say this all the time, like it's fleeting and it doesn't happen often, but for the for the fucking lucky ones, I guess, you know, like, like things just align and like if if one person would have looked at you sideways it could have changed that whole experience you got off the phone with your son and you were like fuck i'm not gonna be at his birthday party and you fell to your knees desperation because you were done not being able to show up not being able to be present yeah Yeah. authenticity very good so not being true to yourself. You found yourself open. You found yourself how? You found yourself saying, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be open. And I'm going to be... Willing. Willing to take fucking action. And suggestions from other people. Oh, oh, yeah. Because those those other people that have experienced strength and hope, they know something sometimes. They don't know me. They're, they don't understand. That's what I would think in the past. We just don't want to fucking listen to them unless we have that window of opportunity. And you had it and um, you went with it. Granted, you had a lot of ups and downs in your sobri- maintaining sobriety. And it was, it was after that five years that your wife was like, I can't do this anymore. So you were already sober for 10 years. So she already went through the fuckery of Mike Conklin. She already went through that fucking carnival ride over and over and over again. And then you got sober and maybe working a program the first five years, then the dry drunk. And like, that's when your wife leaves you. Done. said, I'm done. I said, I was so angry when it happened. And like, I was like, like, why now? That's how I looked at it. Like, why now? Like, fucking seriously? You know, like, if you were going to do this, like, you should have fucking, if you would have left, you should have done this 15 years ago and I was still a fucking mess. You know what I mean? My family would have helped pack my bags. Because I really thought, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm fucking, you know, 
you're sober now. This is going to happen. I was so fucking entrenched in myself at that time that, and like, that's the thing. Like I tell people all the time, I've been through the most difficult times in my life in sobriety, the most difficult. And you know something I've learned the most in my life from those moments. The shit that hurts the most is what I learned from the most. The thing that I look at as being the biggest loss becomes the biggest lesson. And like those lessons become wins and those wins are the ones that fucking like literally I, those are like my greatest treasures to know that you can make it through these things. You can do so with like, you know, did I do it with dignity and grace? Not at first. I was so mad because like, like you said, like at that time I was so dry that like I was so reactionary, right? Like, so we we work from like one of two places, right? Like I'm either coming from, you know, a state of like conscious awareness, that's sobriety, recovery, conscious awareness, or I'm coming from a state of compulsive reaction. And that's fucking entrenched in addiction. That's entrenched in ego, in self, compulsive reaction. I'm just fucking, you do something, I'm coming right back. No thought. No, no, no thought of repercussions, no, nothing, just me. It's about me, you know? And like at that time, the first way, like when it first happened, like that's all I could think about. I just thought about me, how fucking bad this was hurting me. I couldn't, it took me a long time, it took me a while and a lot of work on myself and getting reconnected and talking to other people and going to therapy and, and really like a lot of self-awareness, which I'm obsessed with, by the way, nowadays, like self-awareness is literally my, that's my jam. I am obsessed with self-awareness. Like I didn't realize how much pain I had been causing her for the last years that she was just, I think almost hoping and leading me. And then I can look at it too. And like, there were so many times that she like wanted to like, she knew I was fucking out of my mind. And like, you know, I didn't see the signs. I thought like, I'm like, I thought it came out of left field. You know, I really believe that for a long time, you know, for a while. I was like, oh, out of my mind. Right. And like, I just wanted to point blame, you know, but what this, you know, what recovery has taught me is like, look, whenever there is friction in my life, I am a part of that friction. I have to own my shit in that. And sometimes it is not pretty, but I got to own it. You know what I mean? Otherwise I can't move through it. I can't improve for the next time. I can't learn from it. I'll just continue to repeat it. If I don't learn from it. God will continue to put these obstacles in your path until you fucking learn it. You know, you wonder why is it repeating? Like, why does this always happen to me? Cause you keep doing the same shit. That's why change what you're doing. It's the, and they're hard lessons to learn, especially when we know that there's something that we could have possibly done about it. You know, but then I look at it from the flip side too, is like some of these, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, am I proud of some of the things I've done in my past? All of the things that I've done in my past? No. Am I, do I regret the things? Not anymore. You know what I mean? Because like everything that's happened has brought me to here where I am today. And like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I firmly believe that you know, can I, can I repeat my past? Yeah, I guess if I fucking, if I, I can, I, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Nowadays it's more so about like, what can I do? How can I improve? You know, how can I be a better person today than I was yesterday? How can I possibly be of service to a person? You know, there's just so much different. Like my intentions are so different today than they were in the past. Like, and if I, I can get caught up in that, like my fucking head will start, you know, my ego will like poke at me and be like, come on, man, you're doing great. Oh, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm doing great. It's like, you're an idiot. You're not doing great. You're going to be fucking yeah. banging your head against the wall tomorrow. Yeah. You know, get, like, get your, get out of the fucking driver's seat. This ain't right. your boss. You get, know, get out of your head. Go help another fucking sick and suck. Bingo. There it is. Or go help someone else. And use your time fucking wisely because yep. 
it's not being your success is bullshit and can be gone tomorrow and unless you're spending your experience strength and hope of the ups and downs that you that you have experienced like you have like your heart has been broken you're in sobriety you know and you you have gone through the pointing fingers and the manipulation and then the guilt and the shame and like all of the disgusting feelings that come with our life in active addiction and like you can share that with people and that is amazing that you choose to share that with people i think it's how we heal yeah and because like so many people still think that they're the only ones like there's there's people out there that think like oh fuck i'm i'm the only one that like drinks and drives like i'm the only one that drinks in the morning i'm the only one that hides booze in my office you know like i'm the only one that does this well mm, no sweetheart sorry you're not but let let's let's talk about these things you know like the relatability is just there's there's so much power in the relatability and like no judgment you know when you're talking to like a newcomer and they remember yourself being a newcomer and the guy didn't judge you what are they gonna think about me they don't give a fuck they don't give a fuck about everything you've done and probably worse that's why i always say like like the less we care about what other people think about us the more we can focus on ourselves the better people will be you know what i mean like that's and then the better we can help other people correct like it's it's a it's a cycle and it's it can be a beautiful cycle or it can be a selfish cycle. It's all, but we make that decision now. And yep. like, we are cognizant of what the real solution is. And so it's putting that into action that is so important. And that helps keep us sober that helps plant seeds for other people's sobriety and that helps them spread the word whatever you whatever impression you made on them like that's a beautiful fucking thing i love that it's like dancing you know it's like a beautiful dance that we all get to play in you know like either you can stand over on the side just fucking watch where you can start participating. You know what I mean? Like I, that's really what it's about. Like, do you want to just watch other people live a great life? Or do you actually want that? We all say that everybody says that, Oh, I'm so, they're so lucky. I'm so jealous. Get rid of it. Like, I'm what, like, dude, I'm happy for people when they're doing well. Mm-hmm. That's different. You know what I mean, cause especially like when the, the, you know, most of society, like perfect example is like you're gonna go away on this like nice vacation and people are always like i'm so jealous you're so lucky it's like how about just fucking like people tell me they're going to do something i'm like that is fucking awesome i hope you have the best time take lots of pictures share it with me i want to see it i want to hear about it because i think people deserve to be happy you know what i mean and everybody like says you know their goal is to be happy it's like 
if you just keep chasing happiness, you're going to fucking keep chasing. Like you need to find what part makes you feel just good inside. Right. And then just share because that with the world. you're missing it. You could be missing yeah. it right now. Yeah. Your happiness could be passing by because you're not like focused, not you personally, but we are not, are not focusing on the fact that it's there in our lives. We're focusing on, we don't have that person's happiness. My happiness doesn't look like that. So I can't recognize what the happiness is in my life if I keep thinking that happiness looks like that. You know? Totally agree. Like, I was looking forward to this all day. Like, I've been looking forward to this. Like, this is the best part of my day so far. 100%. Best part of my day, you know, is to like, and I say that all the time. Like, I, I share what I share and try to do like, service to others like i i don't know who it resonates with you know what i mean like it's a it's a crazy space because a lot of people don't want to say you know like they don't want to like they're not there yet they're not ready to to openly talk about it so it's not like you know what i mean i'm not looking for likes i'm not looking for all these like you know i want to open conversations with people um and what makes my day is when just some person like slips into like and like sends you a message and is like what you said today really helped me fucking made my day. Mm-hmm. I only need one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know that, like, I know that what I say touches someone. I don't know how many people, but I know that if it touches one person, then I'm doing my part. Back to this, the second time you kind of got sober, you were sober from the substances, but you didn't have the emotional sobriety. And I, I feel like what I got from your story was that, you know, getting sober the first time around was the easy part, but maintaining emotional sobriety is what has allowed you to level up a little bit mentally, emotionally, um, and in other aspects of your life. So what do you do on a daily basis? Like, obviously, a lot, a huge part of your life revolves around recovery, but what does that actually look like to you? How do you stay grounded in your new solution? I love that question and it's so true that like if i don't so when i first got sober like i i had like i started like new routines right like because my old routine like just running and spinning out of life used to be like you know you jump you my i set my alarm clock up on the other side of the room so that i couldn't hit snooze a million times i get up out of bed i hit the alarm clock i make a left i go into the bathroom take a shower downstairs grab a cup of coffee out the door fucking going with my day like that's just you know and going 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 and like yeah, like the day goes off the rails all the time, right? Like days go off the rails. Like my day today starts with like, it's weird, but over time and practice, like, you know, I literally like when I open my eyes, there's a prayer in my head. You know what I mean? Like there's a prayer in my head, something it's either like two simple ones are like the serenity prayer or the Lord's prayer. Like they just kind of like fucking come into my head like do that. And then I get up out of bed and I do like a small little reading for the day, just a reading. I usually like brew coffee while I'm doing my reading so that I can get that smell of coffee and like when I'm reading and I just write a quick little gratitude list. Usually it's three things, just three things. Right. And like they're my sobriety and my recovery comes number one because anything else that comes beneath that is not going to exist in my life. If I do not put it number one and I've proven it to myself hundred percent, no matter how much I love something, no matter how much I love the people, if I do not put that number one, I will lose them. I will. Cause I know, cause it happened. 
So sobriety and recovery is number one. Number two is usually my kids. And then number three can be as simple as that smell of coffee in the morning like that. It can be that simple. So I kind of start with gratitude. I remind myself like to live like with acceptance and forgiveness, forgiveness myself, forgiveness of other people, you know, forgive myself for the wrongs that I did yesterday, help me try to be a better person today, you know, kind of like a little reflection of like, you know, how can I be of service of another person today? And, uh, if I do that, like I have better days because see, by starting my day that way, when the day goes off the rails, like I can react, but I have a place to go back to. I have that moment of, to myself that was in the morning, like, of like where I get self-aware, I get aware of my thoughts and my feelings and my, the actions that I can take for the day. You know, I invite God in, you know, to my morning, you know what I mean? Like I do it as soon as I open my eyes. So if I do that other stuff that I'm doing, like, and I invite God in, it helps me be a better person, you know, and that's just been, that's the way it works for me, you know, and I know that it works for other people. Um, and yeah, and then I just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm way, well, I'm way more aware of my thoughts when I do that. And if I'm aware of my thoughts then I can like really get better control of my feelings. Thank you. I don't think alcoholics especially are born with that inherently. So thanks for the tips. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so we are coming to, you know, a time where we do have to wrap up. Although yeah. <laughs> I would love to dive into self-awareness and self-forgiveness with you because I think they yeah. are two topics that My are, faves. they're just a balance and yeah. And like, and then some days, some things can be like super happy. Some days, some things can be super shitty, but like you said, Mike, like you go back to that center, that place where you were in the morning and you're like, where, like you remember what you're grateful for. And. And if like, you're feeling really the- fucked, call a person you trust. There yes. You go. And reaching out yeah. to another alcoholic. Yeah. And like those are those are the things that will keep us sober and will keep us living with realistic expectations of ourselves, of other people, self-awareness, self-forgiveness, and that we are worth this life that we have now. So I'm going to go and I'm going to do my honest work. Honestly, I'm going to be open. No, no, like moment that tunnel vision starts, the moment just, sludge starts to build up in that tunnel vision (laughs) so you got to open that up right and willingness to do the right thing and take the action and if we don't do that then we're just talking and we're fucked and we're fucked I love you. Yeah. I love that shit. Like, that's like literally like I could fucking, if there's things I could talk about all day, it's like recovery. I can talk about all day. I can talk about self-awareness. I can talk about like that. I love that stuff. Love it. More people need it in their life. I, I get like totally hyped on that.
Um, (laughs) Like anytime, I will always answer you in my DMs. It's always going to be me. It's not some fucking VA. It's not somebody just like, if you reach out to me, um, I'll answer you back. Um, Invite you over to the Facebook group because it's just, you know, like-minded individuals, you know, sobriety does not need to be lonely. It does not need to be boring. It's not supposed to be. Fucking love drinking was lonely and boring. It was fucking lonely and boring. You know, I didn't think it was, but the reality was, is it was not compared to what we get to do today. So those are kind of the two main places. We get to live much more fulfilling lives. Absolutely. No one said it was going to be easy. Yeah. But it's worth it. I fucking hated hearing that in the beginning. I hated hearing that in the beginning. It's going to be really difficult, but it'll be worth it. Like, oh, fuck off. You know what I mean? I just don't want the pain to go away. Yeah. When do I feel better? Just tell me that. Just tell me when I feel better. And then, you know what he used to say to me? When do I take the shower of clarity? Yeah. And like, he said, do the work. That's what he said. The more action you take, the better you're going to feel. And he didn't lie. He didn't lie. I mean, he said, I promise you, if you go through this thoroughly and honestly, you will fucking feel better. Your life will change. Your life will change. Yep. And it will. Well, on that note, thank you so much. Um, Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much to all our listeners. If you liked what you heard, tune in next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another episode of Salty Moms Gone Sober. Be there or be square. And in the meantime, stay salty, stay sober, stay sane. Peace.